Just thank you, Lord. Come on. <coughs> Let's shout once and clap and praise His holy name. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, guys. Wow. Good job. Good job. Good job. Be seated, please. Praise the Lord. Give the band a good hand clap. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Praise God. If they, uh, if they, a couple of them come up missing, you'll know where to find them. We might have to duct tape them and throw them in the trunk or something, Andrew. I don't know. Thank you. That was great worship. You know, um, a lot of churches have talent and no anointing. Some have anointing and no talent. You're blessed here. Have both. May they continue to just bring you in the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Look at this front row, man. We're talking about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, bishops. Come on, give them a good hand clap. Wow, thank you, guys. Yeah. Hey, anytime you can get the five-fold ministry in the house, uh, that's powerful. The deposit stays, you know, whether they are preaching or prophesying or praying or just here, just here. Uh, that anointing is, uh, is here. We thank God for you. It's my privilege to, uh, I know Bishop Gideon, but my privilege to, to sup with both of you today. You're hooked up to some pretty smart guys there, bud. So you better turn out right. Because Dr. Alani and I know where you live. All right, just uh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Is that how he says that? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay, praise the Lord. Now, I'll tell you something before I get into to my part of this. I came out of a... I, I'm a Michiganian by birth and growth, but went, went to the Marines, went to Vietnam, came back. Da, da, da. And I started our ministry out in San Diego. And when the Lord said to move to Michigan, I felt like Obadiah in the desert. Do you know Obadiah's story? The, the Elijah, the prophet of God, tells uh, Obadiah, now Jezebel is coming out here probably to kill me, but... Uh, when she gets here, you tell her the following things. And Obadiah said, well, what have I done to deserve this assignment? You're going to be gone, and she's going to kill me in your stead. And so when I moved from San Diego back to Midland, by, by the vision of God, I thought, what have I done? I mean, San Diego, Midland, Michigan? San Diego, Midland, Michigan? And in those days, it was like, San Diego and Midland, Michigan? <laughs> You're kidding me, man. Seriously, Lord? Like, what have I done? But uh, I did it. We obey God no matter what, whether it makes sense to this or not, right? I'd like a better amen than that. Amen. So I don't know, every year for the first, I've been here, what, 38 years. And every year up to about maybe 15 years or so ago, I asked the Lord, what am I doing here? I mean, no offense, I love the people in Midland. God's helped us all there. We have a mighty team. We reach the world. It's a great church. We've never had a church split in all these years. We don't fight. I mean, you know, we pay for everything cash. I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful work. That's not it. It's just that when you're global-minded and you're metroplex-minded, Midland couldn't be a metroplex in the millennial reign, let alone now. <laughs> It's like, wow, really, Lord? And I was wondering, Lord, I just, I'm going to obey you. I'm not complaining. Don't, don't ever gripe about your assignment. Just Amen. don't do that. You get in trouble with God. Just do it. But I was just always curious, Lord, uh, why am I here in this small town? And uh, it was a few years ago, and the Lord said, I'm going to tell you now, you've been asking me once or twice or ten times a year since 1980. So I'm going to tell you, son, I sent you here to prove, to prove to the world, the church, and many rural pastors and pioneer pastors 
that you don't have to be in a big metroplex to reach the world. And from here, you have your own printing company. You know, in that church, we fly a jet. We're on national television. We're on international television. And on goes the story. I almost stopped David from reading. It's like, stop it. I'm getting tired. I didn't know I did all that. All from a little town. Really, we're not a, we're not a little, little teeny, teeny church, but we're not what you would consider, a, you know, one of these mega churches. And yet we're a powerful, powerful army. Amen. And I began to realize God did this on purpose so that others could take a look at Midland, Michigan, little old Midland, and see a church our size shake the planet and honestly do anything that God has assigned us to do. So I feel this in my heart deep. If God can do that with me and with us in Midland, he can do that with anybody anywhere, just like David was saying. I truly believe that. I really do. Because he's a big God and he's a God everywhere. Amen. And all we got to do, it's amazing what happens if we just do what God said. Turn to someone and say, I just wish you'd obey God. Turn to someone else and say, start now. You know, it's like a diet. Everyone starts on Monday. No, start now. Just, just get going. I got this phone call not too long ago from a CIA agent. And he said, uh, uh, you know, he, we talked to him and he said, there's something we'd like you to do. I said, oh, you know, I'm, I, I'm a preacher. You know, I don't do CIA stuff. No, 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 no. It's nothing like that, Reverend. There's somebody that, that, that has to meet you and talk to you. Uh, okay, who is that? And he, and he told me his name. I said, I don't know him. I don't know that name. For all I know, this is a prank call. I said, well, how about you hang up the phone, Rev, and I'll have someone at your door in 15 minutes, and it won't be a prank call any longer. I said, no, I'll, I'll listen. Go ahead. <laughs> be, All right, I'll try me again. You know, I'm a, I'm a little slow learner, but I'm getting it. Try me again, you know. And I, I'm going to shorten the story because it's not the heart of my message. But it goes along with what you're saying, what I'm saying, what these men have said this last, these last meetings. I was in the Congo a few years ago, preaching, doing open air-like meetings. And of course, I, wherever I go, I do leadership meetings or ministers meetings or something like that. And uh, the, the, um, the king, president, you know, leader of that country had come to my meeting and invited me over to the house. So I went, you know, to, to, it was an honorable thing to me. And, you know, besides that, when someone of that caliber invites you, unless the Lord says no, then you go and be a blessing. You'd be a servant, you'd be a blessing. So I did. And he had a little boy about, oh, this tall or so, just a little guy. And uh, he kept running around the room, and his dad kept correcting him a little bit, and he'd wanted to talk to me, and he jumped on, you know, my chair a couple of times, not like a little teak, like on my lap, but, you know. And so uh, I just kind of grabbed him once in a while, you know, as the dad and I talked and put my hand on his head. And, and believe it or not, I put my hand on his head one time and the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to use him mightily one day. You will forget about him. He'll not forget about you and he'll call upon you. Well, I forgot all about that. That was... 2018, 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 20 years ago. And uh, that's who they wanted me to meet because they're negotiating things to make him the, the next leader of that country. And he told the people involved in all this, and I don't know how much you know about these kind of things, but he told them all, I won't even talk about this any further. Uh, when I was a little kid, this prophet of God came to my house. And all I remember is his last name. I have a picture of him with my dad. And he put his hand on me and said, one day uh, I would really be used and I would help deliver my people, etc." And so they're tracking me down. I said, well, if, okay, I'm, I'll, I'll meet with him. I, obviously he's not a little kid anymore. 
So I met with him over here in the Troy Mall in the big entry area they have over here at Somerset. And we sat together for like four hours. And I said, why is it so important? He said, something happened to me when I was a little kid and you put your hand on my head. Something happened to me. And I couldn't explain it all of my life. I just, but I can't escape it. I think about you. I don't know you. You know, I only have a, I don't even know who you are. I just have a picture of you and my dad. <clears throat> Somehow I remembered your last name because I used to say Barkay and Broccoli. <laughs> and as I grew up, I said, I, my dad kept saying Barclay, Barclay. And I finally got it. And he said, they're grooming me now to be the next uh, leader of the entire country. And I told my, uh, my constituents and my leadership, I won't do it until I find that man that put his hand on me. And he confirms to me that that's what he was talking about. You, you never know. You never know. It isn't just Mark Barclay. You never know who you're witnessing to. You never know what little kids you're blessing and involving him in ministry. You know, and that my, it's not my heart or my message, but it's one of my challenges for all of us tonight. If you would obey God and just be bold, I call it bold as a lion, and just and touch people and talk to people, you have no idea, even, even we preachers, we have no idea who all we're raising up and what all they're going to do in the future. We just know what's around us right now to be a blessing and to be a strength. Can I have an amen on that at all? All right, I feel led to tell you another story. If you get me telling stories, we could be here till midnight. Someone say tomorrow, amen, I'll go for that. Praise God. The bishop has spoken. Hallelujah. Tomorrow it shall be. I was preaching for a, a friend of mine in Buffalo, New York. This is back in the 1980s. And he had a young man, a, a boy, a little guy about that tall. I don't know how old he was. I go by height. It's about that tall. And he was a rascal. And all the time we're visiting after the meeting, you know, and having a supper, he's just jumping on the couch. His daddy swatted him a couple of times. And he was just full of, you know, something. And, uh, and, and so finally he ran by me and I grabbed him you know, teasing and playing. And I grabbed him really hard and he just kind of, and I picked him up and his little feet are still moving like this. And I said, settle down, boy. And I set him down. And you, see, you don't know. I'm telling you, you don't know. You don't know. You're not as smart as God. You're not as smart as God. And he settled down a minute and I put my hands on his head. And I said, I bless you and I bless your head. And I bless your brain and you're going to do, God's going to help you in the time of trouble, and young, and he's just a little boy. He, he, I'm sure he didn't remember any of it. And, uh, and, and I just spoke a word over him. Not trying to be the prophet, just visiting with a friend. All right? At 17 years old, he was playing hockey. The Buffalo hockey team was watching him to draft him into pro hockey. And he fell down so hard and bashed his head that they had to rush him to emergency, and they're telling his dad, we're not sure he's ever going to be right again. This is, this is beyond a concussion. This, this boy's in trouble. His brain is swelling. And so the doctors come in. The specialists finally get there. They come in. And he's laying in that bed. He's got stuff, you know, the equipment on him and stuff. And the one doctor tells his dad, we don't know his head is really damaged and his brain is swollen. And he may not. And before he can get it out, that 17-year-old kid sat up in that hospital bed and looked the doctor in the eyes and said, I will be fine. The prophet of God has blessed my head since I was a little boy. Two days later, got out of the hospital. He had no idea. You and I have no idea. I didn't get real, listen, I did bless him and I meant it, but I, it wasn't like this 
super duper lightning flashing cloud falling. I feel impressed to lay hands on this little boy that I'd really like to spank. But it wasn't my duty. It wasn't, you got to understand that you're the vessel of God. If you quit belittling yourself and letting your brain tell you you're nobody, you'll have a lifetime of miraculous events to tell your story about. Lift your hands to him now. Say, Lord, anoint me like never before. Come on, ask him. Lord, I need this anointing all my life. Anoint me like never before that I can touch other people and be used of you in these, in these last days. Everybody say, in Jesus' name. Wow. Did you bring a Bible tonight? We're going to study a verse or two. I'm going to give you a fact or two. And then we're going to pray over you. And while, uh, while Pastor David has, uh, you know, these two great bishops, Dr. Lonnie, myself, and this row of fivefold, we're going to lay hands on you. Because in the will of God, we'll all be able to be in some house again at the same time. But then again, the Lord may come and say, why didn't you lay on David, lay hands on David while you were all there? I don't know. He might say, why did you try to give him your offering and he refused it? I feel a little spunky. I don't know what it is. Running with these big shots, man, they make you feel strong and, and protected. Hallelujah. Amen. Proverbs 22. Come on, go there. Proverbs 22. Yeah, thank God for our Bible. What would you do without it? You better figure it out because the lunatics in California are trying to do away with it now. You know about that? They've written a law now to outlaw the Bible in the state of California. It won't be able to be sold in any store in California. It will not be able to be carried or read or opened in a public place in California. And uh, you won't be able to read it aloud uh, anywhere. And it won't be able to be read aloud in any place that attracts the public, which would include churches. The law has been written. It has to go now to the House. The House of Representatives in California uh, are, are, I'm just giving you facts. I'm not giving you opinion. I'm giving you facts. There, uh, it's a House of Democrats. The majority of Democrats in the House said they will pass the law. The Senate in California is a majority Democrat, and the Democrats in the Senate of California have already predetermined they will pass the law. The governor in California is a Democrat, and he has said that he will sign the law. Now, it will get challenged, but then again, that might be a sign that we're in the time of the Antichrist. You know what the word anti means? Against. Antichrist. Why didn't it say anti-Muhammad or anti-Buddha? No, it didn't. It's Antichrist. You ever heard the term, the lie, the heresy of separation of church and state? Why does it say church and not religion? Christians are the only people that use the church word. Other people use other words, temple. Why, why, it, why does it actually say that separation of church and state? Why does the Bible call it the anti Christ and the Antichrist spirits that are forerunners prepping the earth. It seems to me like prepping part of the church and maybe an army of preachers to be anti-Christian. Imagine a man who would stand in the pulpit, declare to everybody, I'm the good reverend, praise God, and, uh, and I'm called to preach the gospel, but I'm here to tell you not to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not for you. Hey, yo-yo, that is the gospel. But that's what's happening in our land, and much worse. So I want to talk to you a few minutes. I'll probably end up preaching a moment or two, teach a little bit about the day we live in and what you and I better do about it. Because the world has become loud and the church has become quiet. It used to be us, honey, that had the city parades, not the naked people. We had those parades. We ruled our cities. We made the laws. 
But the louder they got, the quieter we got for some reason. And now we're in a real battle. I'm not afraid of the battle. I'm, I've been a warrior all my life, and I'm not afraid. But we got some work to do. And, it, and I'm going to tell you something. Uh, God's ordained you and me to do that work, and he's not going to do it for us. It's our duty. We're, I keep saying, Lord, we are not the army that's going to fail you. We are going to climax the ages. And, and in that, the Lord said, son, did I, when I birthed the church, you would say book of Acts. You know, John, John, the last chapter, they were in the upper room. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. That's born again. Because the same people a few days later were in an upper room and when the Holy Ghost fell and they all got filled with the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues. So the idea of being born again and being uh, spirit-filled is two different, total different applications and experiences and both very, very much important. But, uh, but when God breathed out of his spirit, which he's still doing, and poured out of his spirit, he didn't say he poured out his spirit and there's none left. He said he poured out of it and he's still pouring out of it. Thank God, wave a hand or something, say, thank God, I'm in on that. Empower me, Lord. But the Lord said, I poured out so much power to birth the church, the age of the church, that even common men were raising the dead and opening blind eyes and doing things. How about Peter walking on water? Now, I do that every winter in January when the, uh, when the lake freezes over. <laughs> so when I get up there and I talk to Peter, I'm going to say, I miss nothing. I walk on water every three months out of every year. In fact, last year I drove my pickup truck out on the lake. Take that, Peter. Praise God. Hallelujah. And the Lord said, do you think that I would pour out all that power to birth my church and I wouldn't pour out that much or more to climax the age of my church so it would go out in triumph and it would be a glorious church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish? Now, there are some true believers. There's few compared to the many. Well, there, there's thousands, of, but compared to the many, it's a fewer percentage who really do live pure and holy. They really are the righteous, and they, and they work hard at following Christ. I know that. I know a lot of them. But most of the body of Christ is not without spot. They're not without blemish or any such thing. They're not the glorious church. The other day, the Lord said, did I not say that in the time of my coming, my angels would separate the sheep from the goats? Yeah, yes, sir. Well, he said, how do you know I'm not doing that now? And if I'm separating the goats from the sheep, don't I have to have somewhere for them to gather? And don't I have to have ranchers who aren't true shepherds to take care of them? And did I not say I was going to separate the wheat from the tares? Yes, sir. I always thought that was like judgment day. He said, well, do you, how do you know I haven't begun? How do you know a lot of these big gatherings is not me taking the wheat from the righteous, or excuse me, the tares from the righteous and bundling them up over there to be damned, to be burned, to go to hell? Y'all looking like you never heard about that before. I said, I don't know, Lord. I'm just your son trying to keep up with you. He said, well, just be careful, meaning pay attention, that when you say these big churches, fast growing and rich, I'm for big, I'm for fast, I'm for fast growing, and I'm for rich, because the Bible says so. But just because something is big, fast growing, and rich, doesn't mean it's God. I drove by a church one time, and that, I mean that, parking lot was packed out, man. They had cars in the street. And it, that thing, man, I don't know how many people could have been there. And I just said to the Lord, wow, Lord, you are really blessing that house. And Lonnie, the minute I said it, man, I felt like this darkness come in my car. I felt empty, like, oh my God, I did something wrong. So my, the first thing I checked was, wait, 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 wait. Am I jealous of that? That's where my mind went. Well, maybe you're just jealous of, of that fast growing... And, the, and then the Lord spoke and he said, who told you I blessed that house? I said, well, well Lord, I, I, was, I was just going by all the cars in the parking lot. He goes, oh, it's a big gathering. 
but I don't want you to ever blame me again for tumorous growth. I said, pardon me, Lord. He said, weeds grow faster than wheat. Cancer grows faster than your regular flesh. In fact, if you don't do something about a cancer tumor, it will devour your body until it takes your real life away from you. And, uh, and he said, have you ever seen it? This is how the Lord said to me. Have you ever seen anybody come into your ministry with a big old tumorous growth here and said, Pastor, I'm so blessed. Look at it grow. Look at it grow. Man, I got the biggest tumor you have ever seen. I am just blessed of the Most High God. I said, well, no, sir. He goes, well, then how do you know that's not a cancerous growth? How, why? Because it's growing? you saying it's me? You stop doing that. Yes, sir, I will stop doing that. I not only have never done it since, I'm, not, I'm dropping it right now. I'm feeling I just leave that alone. Go on, praise God. Well, I stalled as long as I can. Did you find Proverbs 22? Here we go. It's a very strong verse. In verse three, twenty-two, three, the whole the whole proverb is great, but you know we're always uh, we always only have enough time to just deal with you. So help me just grab a verse. A prudent man, a prudent man is a man of wisdom who knows what to do with it and does it. He didn't say knowledgeable. A prudent man is someone who has wisdom or woman, and they live accordingly. They do. They're they're prudent. They, they that's how they live. It's not just what they believe. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. Hideth doesn't mean like, oh, I better hide. I'm so afraid. No, the Marines would say, hit the deck. Take cover. Incoming. He don't stand away the missiles. The gun, he says, incoming. And the Marines go, where? Boys want to see one of them. You take cover. That's what this means. Hideth yourself kind of. If you, if you read it in that context, it makes it look like maybe you're afraid and you got to jump between the sheets, hurry up and get under the bed, cover your head with a pillow. No. But the simple pass on and are punished. Now go over with me, please, to Luke 21. Hurry up. we got to preach fast. Luke 21. Pastor David doesn't limit me, but I've been at this a long time, so I limit myself. Luke 21. Come on, go there. I don't hear pages turning. How come I'm there already and I beat even some of you with electronic devices? Man, if you have a Bible app on that device, you better have a Bible on your screen right now and not be checking the ball scores or something. May your battery drain dead if you are, in Jesus' name. <laughs> All right, I removed the curse, but don't be doing that anyways. Luke 21, 34. To take heed to yourselves. Everybody wants to take heed to somebody else. Amen. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged, that would be intoxicated, where your heart, where you're no longer in control, you've allowed it to overwhelm you, your heart, your inner man. With surfeiting, now, surfeiting here uh, means carousing. It means you're not satisfied with what you got, so you look for something more. Not something more in God, like I want to go deeper. Something instead of God. Something instead of church. Something instead of the Bible. People begin, if you get in this place where you let your heart get overwhelmed, you'll say, church isn't working for me, or I guess I need a different church. This church ain't working. Well, I love pastor, but, it, but I got to find me a different man of God. That's not working. Well, I love you, honey, but I got to find a different wife because this isn't working. And that's, where the, that's what this surfeiting means. Because your heart's overwhelmed, it, it charges you, it challenges you to start carousing and looking for stuff that you shouldn't be. And look at this, and drunkenness. There's a lot of people that are not drunk on alcohol, but they're drunk on the world. They're intoxicated. They love this world. They want this world. I'm, keep, stay with me. And the cares of this life. Uh-oh. Everybody's got cares of this life. So you better be careful they're not your God. And so that day come upon you unawares. Hold it. Hang on just a minute. Are you trying to tell me? Yes, I am because Jesus did. Red letters. If you allow your heart to be overcharged and you start carousing around for another God and another way to live besides the Christian way, you're going to find yourself so overburdened 
that this day that's coming upon us, um, it'll come on you unaware. It'll catch you totally off guard. Just This is a sister verse we'll say to Jesus saying that he'll come like a thief in the night. He's not a thief, and he's not necessarily coming at night. But the idea of the thief in the night, you left windows open, you left the door unlocked, you didn't do your fiduciary duty at home, you just lived sloppy. So the thief comes around, that's my alarm, to tell me to stop, take a breath, and go for 60 more minutes. No. No. Just tease it, all right? Just tease it. No, just tease it. Amen. Catch me unaware? You have to be pretty mesmerized, hypnotized, intoxicated, numb, a dim wick. Not to know the day you live in right now. But it was the, in Noah's day, that was the problem with those people. They were numb. They did not know. They, they thought Noah was just a wild old preacher, man. hundred years, a hundred years, same message. Somebody should have got it. I mean, it wasn't like a, you couldn't go to the internet like cheater preachers do and download someone else's message and someone else's illustration and tell someone, this is Noah, man. And I know there's no internet on that art. He preached to them for, his life preached to them for over a hundred years. They were so numb, so caught up in the world of their day, they thought he was crazy. Could it be, this is a question, could it be that a lot of people today think we preachers, especially we senior preachers, are from yesteryear? Because I keep hearing, well, Brother Barclay, we love you, but you're from the old school. Let me tell you about the old school. We didn't smoke dope, drink beer. We didn't ordain gay people. We didn't celebrate lesbians. We didn't go for transgenders. We didn't, uh, we set deacons and elders down who were heterosexual adulterers. If you lied and cheated and stole, we dealt with you. I don't think the old school was absolutely so bad after all. Seems like some new schoolers were to pretty much kindergartners ought to come see us. Well, that Bible's old, Doc. Come on. It doesn't fit today. That's what I hear. But the same people that want the Bible gone want the Constitution gone. It's called trajectory hermeneutics. The word hermeneutics means the rules by which in science, the rules that govern the science of interpreting these verses. You can't, you, and I can't, you can't just read this Bible and make it say what you want to say. There's rules. Trajectory is like, bang! You shoot a bullet and it flies through the air and it fights First, it's, you know, it's ballistic pattern. It first fights, you know, a thrust and lift, and then it fights gravity, and pretty soon it hits a target. And uh, that, that trajectory path, trajectory hermeneutics has been used on you for about 20 years now, very successfully. Trajectory hermeneutics is too long to teach on tonight, but one point of it is we must make the Bible fit modern society. So it is palatable and relevant. No, no, we're supposed to make society fit the Bible. It's worked for every other, every other generation. Why is it like 20 years ago, the, the people all over the world begin to say, well, it's worked for many years, but it won't work for us. I'll tell you why. Because they want their filth and their sin, and they become pussy and oozing with nastiness whether it's anger, hatred, prejudice, filthy sexual trash, lying. It, I mean, just go on D-Facebook for 15 minutes. That'll drive you to the altar. You get the spirit of our country on these social sites. But I don't want this day to come and catch me off guard. When I walk with God and I'm born again, blood washed, spirit filled, renewed my mind, I got the fruit of the spirit, I got the gifts of the spirit, I got the armor of God, uh, I'm led by the spirit, I'm filled with the spirit, I have a heavenly language, I'm anointed, I'm ordained, I'm commissioned. Hey! 
And so are you, and there's no good reason to live today that, this, that the blowing of the trumpet would be some big surprise to you. In fact, the worse it gets, this Bible says, the more you and I ought to look up, knowing that our redemption is drawing close, man. Whoa, glory to God. Makes me want to do rapture practice. 35. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Question, are you on the earth? Are you on the earth? then you're included in this. Now, my daddy was a hunting fishing guide and my grandpa was a great outdoorsman as well. And my grandpa, uh, he had uh, uh, this bear trap. I just, I just my, one of my assistants, Randy Saylor, just bought me a duplicate bear trap to what my grandpa had because I'm always talking about it. That bear trap that I have, you know, it's great big old jaws that open up like this. And when it's open, you can, I'm not sure, I, could, I couldn't get my arms around, I don't think, around the whole thing. It's massive because if, it, if a bear puts his foot in it and it closes, uh, it, I mean, a bear's not like you're a little beaver. And so, you know, I don't recommend you go trap animals, I'm just saying, in that day. So my grandpa, he, he would open these jaws. It would take, he was a massive man, my grandpa. And he would open these jaws and set the little paddle in the middle. And then he'd go get a stick about this long and about as big as round as a baseball bat, maybe a little bigger. And he'd say, now, boys, three Barclay boys. And uh, he said, now, boys, I, I don't ever want you to touch this as if we could open it. It took everything he had to open. Us four Barclay boys, we would have had to recruit some neighbors. I mean, it's that hard to spring it open and then set that paddle. But he said, watch this. And he dropped that stick just from here. And it hit that little paddle in the middle of those jaws. Bang! It closed so fast and so fierce, that whole trap jumped off the ground about that far. And it just snapped that board in, in pieces immediately. I mean, immediately, you couldn't even, you couldn't have even said 1,001. You would have got, whoa, too late. And every time I read this verse, like a snare, will it come upon, this will come upon all those who live on the earth, including you and me. I think a lot of Christians think they got it made in the shade and they better be shaking themselves pretty severely. I said a term earlier, maybe I'll mention that, and then I'll read this last verse. Um, are you a dim wick? It's a question. I didn't call you that. It's a question. What do you mean? Well, remember the ten virgins? Now, God called them virgins. So God wouldn't have called any people but blood-washed people virgin, because virgin there means totally unspotted from the world. So that wouldn't even include Old Testament Israel because they weren't unspotted. But anyways, whatever your theology is, the point is they are 10 people with 10 lamps and they all had oil. And all of their lamps were burning and they were all together in the same place, it seems, and they were waiting for the same thing, the coming of the bridegroom. As time went by, half of that group of people kept their, their, uh, their lamp oiled up. The other half didn't. Now, any good camper knows. I don't even care if you're not a camper and you just watch the Boy Scout movie ones. Anybody knows, man, you get that, that, say, that glass lantern that's got a little oil bucket in the bottom and a little wick that comes up and a little thing to trim it and then you light it and it burns and the more you trim the wick the brighter it burns and the, and the more fuel it it goes and the and as you as you dim down and trim down the wick the less it will flame and burn and go dim and then it gets fumes in the air and pretty soon it'll just be puffing smoke and then go out Five of those virgins, their lamp began to flicker. They were running out of oil. So they did what most of 2018 church does. They turned to their neighbor, their pastor, their prophet, and said, we're running out of oil. 
Give us some oil. And the, and the other five virgins, they did exactly what the 2018 church doesn't do. They literally said, no. No. What, you have no love? No. Thought you were a Christian. Five lamps went out. The, the five virgins, virgins, whose lamps went out, you know what they said? We need some of your oil because if the bridegroom comes, we will not be ready. We won't go. You can judge yourself in this. Right now, tonight, so can I. You know what the other five said? We cannot give you any of our oil because if we take what the five of us have left and split it up among ten lamps and we run ten lamps, what if he tarries, they said. And they said, if he tarries, then he will come and he will not have a bride and none of us will be ready. Hey, I can judge myself. You can judge yourself. Are you more concerned about you or him? Because the five foolish versions is all about them. You got to give us oil. What if he comes? We won't go. We, we, we won't be ready. Oh, oh. And the other five said, no, we got we to preserve our oil for him. We got to make sure we, we got him on our mind. We got to make sure he has a bride. I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. David, it's Sunday morning, tomorrow morning. You need to have some amen practice in here. Actually, it's probably the visitors. It's probably the visitors. It's probably just the visitors. These five went to get oil. Read the story. Does it not mean anything to you that they knew where to get oil all the time? They didn't beg, come on, tell us where did you get it? Is there a special meeting in town? Is there a prophet that will give me a word? I don't want to fast and pray and get a word. That man, I'm hungry. I get hungry quick. I want a prophet to come and prophesy over me. I, I, I don't want to do that. I want pastor to do all this studying for me and just give me an outline on Sunday morning. I, I don't have time to be studying after God. I'm a busy person. They ran out, and they went to get it. And you know what the Bible says? They found it. That's scary. And they came back. I have two words for you and them. Too late. Because in, in the record, the bridegroom came, took with him the five that had oil still. The other five were left behind. And you don't have a glimpse. You don't even have a one word in a verse, one English word in a verse that shines any light that he said, I'll come back for the rest of you because I know you gave it your best shot. Left behind. It wasn't God. Well, they say a loving God would send nobody to hell. You're right. You send yourself to hell. The philosopher says that. Most of our modern preachers are philosophers. Well, God's a God of love. He is, the Bible says so. Well, a loving God, he would send no one to hell. You're right, he's not going to send you. He already made a way to stop you. But there'll be multitudes of people in hell because they didn't take the provision. They thought you Christians were crazy, and the dirtier they wanted to live, the more they hated you. What about Austin, Texas? They just passed a city law that churches now have to hire sexually perverted people, whether it's in their bylaws or not. You got to hire pedophiles, you got uh, heterosexual adulterers, uh, transgenders, gays, or you get fined extreme every day until you do. And eventually uh, they'll break the churches, they'll go broke and they'll start shutting. Oh, it'll get challenged in the court, but. So did some other things that went all the way to the Supreme Court, and that didn't turn out so well for Jesus Christ. So I had this question for you before my alarm went off, so I know I'm on borrowed time. But 
I don't want you to email me at three in the morning and say, what do you mean by dim wick? Are you running out of oil? And you know where to get it all along. Has your wick, no, are you no longer bright? Can you, can you, if you even want to become bright for God again and hot for God, I mean in your service and in your mouth and in your attitude and in your money, you can judge yourself just like I can. What's your church attendance like? When I was a sinner, I went to the bar. You couldn't keep me out. I was the best bar guy you knew. And when I got born again, I never been to the bar since. I went to the church. Christians go to church. Other people go to the bar. Where do you go? Are you bright for God? Good. Can you even trim, you know, that oil lamp? You trim it, and it, and, and it mixes it better, and, and, the, and before you know it, it's bright, and there's no oil in the air, and there's no smoke. It's just burning bright. Is that you? I'm not judging you. You judge you. Or, or, or have you run out of oil, and you got to compensate, compensate for your lack of love and chasing God? But what if your lamp goes out? The church is being tested, not like what it's going to be. The five virgins, if we make that part of the church, just for illustration's sake, and they slowly run out of oil and become nothing but smoldering flags, smoke. Someone said, where there's smoke, there's fire. I said, no, where there's smoke, there used to be fire. Mm. Not always do you get smoke from a blazing fire. You do. But a lot of times there's a lot of puffing smoke, man. Uh, that, and I guess if you could get all the old stuff off and get the coals off and <laughs> get some oxygen in there and stir that thing up, have a little kindling and something, you know. I'm a Marine. I'd use gasoline. But I don't recommend that just for the record, you know. So probably shouldn't do that. My son and I, we, uh, mom was gone. Vicky was gone. It was just me and Josh, and we wanted to barbecue. So I got the old briquettes in the barbecue, you know. And uh, I got that uh, lighter fluid stuff with the charcoal lighter. That's worthless, man. That's got to be 90% water. I squirted some on there, lit a match. Whew. That was it. I looked down, I felt them. They weren't even warm. It just went across the surface. So I thought, well, I, you know, I'm a Christian. I'll baptize those things. So let it set a minute, lit a match, whew, went out. I said, Josh, stand by. When you're in trouble, you call the Marines. Went in the garage, got the gas can. Threw some gas on there. Said, take this can, go hide it behind that fence. And you hide behind that one and get ready. Now, you don't light a match when you do that. You stand way over there and you snap a road flare. <laughs> yeah, baby. That thing blew up so bad. Seriously. I'm not exaggerating. Josh and I felt briskets flying back. Those little charcoal. Foo, foo. I, I actually yelled, Incoming! Get down! It blew the total lid right off that little barbecue. Foo, gone. I said, Josh, come over here, boy. Do you see what gas does? Yeah. You will experience this again if you ever tell your mother what we did here. <laughs> ever tell her what we did here. Do you understand? You know, boys, can we do it again? No, we're never doing this again. I repent. It's the dumbest thing we ever did. Back to... You all look like you need a little break from the five virgins, so... So in closing, listen to me. These Bible accounts, Bible warnings, are for real. They're preserved for you and me. They're not a joke. They're not just there from a past generation. 
and the future gener the now generation and the future generation. We don't have to read that. That's for yesteryear. There are warnings all the way to the end. There's there's instructions in here to take you and me all the way to either you take your last breath as a human and you go to heaven or hell, or the trumpet blows and you go to heaven and you're left behind. One guy said, well, you know, Brother Barclay, I love you, Pastor, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure I believe in that rapture thing. Uh, I, think, uh, I think we're going to go through the tribulation period. I said, oh, I understand. I said, uh, I'll give you one day. He said, what? I'll give you one day. He goes, one day? Yeah, I'll give you one day in the tribulation period. Just one day, that's all I'm giving you. What are you talking about? I, I said, I, I looked at him and I said, you know, I changed my mind. I'll give you an hour. You'll survive one hour in the tribulation period. That's it. He goes, for real? I said, son, you can't even beat these little imps that keep you out of church. And the stuff you post on Facebook is demonic, man. You're a strifer. You're a liar. You're a slanderer. And these are kindergarten baby little change your diaper demons that attack kindergartners. You, 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 you can't beat a little thumb sucker demon and you think you're going to take on the demons of the tribulation period when the church is gone and nothing is in check? You better be finding yourself some oil, boy. And no more dim wick. That's what I mean by a dim wick. You're slowly getting distracted listening to philosophers you know let me finish that and i'll sit down or i'm gonna pray over you the philosopher says god is love you'll hear them you'll hear them they're everywhere they're on the internet television backyard books you know they're toothy preppy pretty polished someone says well they bring me a lot of hope well we need hope but you don't need false hope. You don't need that. That'll hurt you. So the philosopher preacher says, well, God is love. The preacher, the holy man says, that's right. The Bible says God is love. The philosopher preacher says, well, because God is love, he would send no one to hell. The righteous preacher, the Bible preacher says, that's correct. He's made a way that he would send no one to hell. Everyone goes by choice. But the philosopher preacher says, because God is love and he would send no one to hell, there must not be a hell. What would there be a hell for? The righteous man says, oh, there's a hell. And Jesus Christ referred to it more than any other author in the Bible or anyone being quoted from the scriptures. And Jesus even defined what it was like. But the philosopher says, well, God's a loving God. And because he's a loving God, he'll send no one to hell, so there must not be a hell. And if there's not a hell, there must not be a judgment day. Why would there be a judgment day? What difference would it make? We're all going to heaven. We're included. The righteous man says, well, God is a God of love, and he sends no one to hell. You get to choose. But there is a hell, and there is a judgment day. There's a great white throne judgment. And then all Christians will go, book of Corinthians, to the judgment seat of Christ and everything you've ever done and said and even why you did it and why you said it and whatever, it's going to be judged. The philosopher says, well, God is a God of love. He said, no one to hell. It must not be a hell. If there's not a hell, it's not a judgment day. Why would it be a judgment day? It doesn't make any difference. It's all going to heaven. And if there's not a judgment day, why would there be any accountability? For what? Who are you going to pay account to? And if there's no accountability, there's nothing to be responsible for. That's, a, that's the modern philosopher preacher. Right now, the voices you would hear, even in our country, are probably 10 to 1, 10 philosopher preachers to one Bible guy or a gal. The holy man says, well, there is a judgment day. You will be held accountable at the judgment seat of Christ. Even your good works will be tried by fire to see whether or not the motive was for doing them. So you will give an account, so you better be responsible to walk out your walk with God. And, and in fear and trembling, work out your own salvation. But it sure is more fun to listen 
to the philosopher because you can do no wrong. It's a perfect message for the fallen man, Adam. Do you remember the, I really am trying to quit. Do you remember the number for uh, the Antichrist number? 666. The King James Version says 666 is the number of a man. But as you dig deeper, you'll discover the word A is not there in the biblical language. It just says man. 666 is Adam grown up. Squeaky little, submit to my wife, eat the apple, play with Satan, think God doesn't mean it because he's blessed me so much he can't mean it. That Adam, who gave away everything, has grown up. The sin that's being committed by humans today, openly, blatantly, uh, it's on display, honey. The filth has come to a level that Adam, the fallen nature of man, is now in full maturity. Could it be? This ain't a weird doctrine. I'm not starting a new doctrine. It's a presentation to get you to think and pray and go study. That's what it is. What if there was an initiation to 666? What if you already are branded in your brain 666? What if you already would rather have the world than God? What if you would enjoy your sin more than getting rid of it? If 666, the number of man who thinks that he's God, man, mankind, What if you take the mark of the beast before the Antichrist ever appears? I'm not talking about the mark of the beast. And again, I'm not making a new doctrine, but it is something to consider because it seems to me like there's a lot of people who go to church and listen to preachers who already have an anti-Christian view and an anti-Christian lifestyle. And they're against the Holy Ghost. They're against the gifts of the Spirit. They're against tithing. They're against church attendance. They're disrespectful to God in their presentation. It seems to me like maybe even the church is being a little groomed to be ready for that day. Hope it's not you. I hope you fill your lamp now, not when it's too late. I hope you trim your wick and you're not a dim wick. And I hope your church attendance is at top notch. I hope your prayer attendance, your Bible attendance. How long since you memorized a Bible verse? Most of you would, no offense, I didn't come to make you mad. Most of you meaning the whole body of Christ, not just in this room. Most of the body of Christ, I'll say it that way, David. If, if California wins and it spreads across the country and things spread in America, anti-Christ things in America spread really quick. Don't ask me why, when we got them so outnumbered, we can have anything we want, and they still get what they want. What if it's outlawed where you live? What if they do away with the Bible legally? How rich are you to pay the fines? How long are you willing to stay in jail? Or your babies or your kids? I'm just asking. And if there was no written Bible anywhere... And you couldn't download it because that's one of the products of the law there. You won't be able to download it in California. What if you could not get your hand? I'm just asking you. What if you can't get your hands on a Bible that you have taken for granted all these years? There's many countries I go to. You got to smuggle a Bible in. They stop me at customs and say, "Do you have the Bible on your phone or your app or your?" That's not. That's outlawed in our country. You can't have the Bible. You can't preach it public. America's so blessed and spoiled, we don't even know, half the Americans don't even know those countries exist. If you couldn't get your hands on a Bible, I have a question for you. How many verses you got memorized? Would this be your Bible? Or would you be totally lost and wandering and get snared by the demons of the last days? I don't know, I'm just asking. I know your hands would be, let me see your hands. Not guilty. You see your hands, Reverend. Not guilty. Not guilty. 
Not guilty. Not guilty. Let me see your hands, ma'am. Not guilty. Not guilty. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty times 10. Totally not guilty. Now be careful how you judge the bishop. They're not guilty because they did not hold back from telling you the truth. Your blood, whether you make heaven or hell, you will not blame your creature. Not these kind of creatures. You won't be able to even say on Judgment Day, but my preacher never told me, but our church never taught that. Well, that was not available. No, not guilty. You preachers are not guilty. And you better be not guilty too. Father, I thank you for this church. I love it. I love it. I love this church. I love Pastor David and his family and the team here. I love what this church stands for. I love what it's trying to do in this community. But I'm just me. I know you love what they're doing. Thank you that David is smart enough to submit to elders and bring them here for everybody else. May this light show so beam out of this place that it becomes a decontamination station, a house of deliverance. In the name of Jesus. Look up here a second. If you keep reading, and I want, I want you to when you go home. If you keep reading there in Luke 21, you know, it says don't, don't let your heart be overcharged and don't be found carousing and don't be found, you know, drunkenness of this world. But it ends up saying that you will be able to escape all those things that are coming down upon the earth and one day literally stand before the Son of Man. Now, my friends, these verses were saved for us. Last day's people. You're so close to Armageddon. The money's already spooled for World War III. You know what spooled means? Not pooled. That's when countries get together. Spooled is when one country of major force thinks another country of major force is going to have to go to global war in order to make their point and overcome their issue. So the secondary power spools their money enough to go to war. And then the third country. And I'll tell you right now, it's not hard to investigate. China, Australia, Iran, France, Germany, Great Britain, South Africa, Canada, the United States, and the list goes on, have already spooled war money. They're already ready for world war. It's technically kind of already begun. It's just a matter of, is someone smart enough to withhold or are they going to push the button? That uh... This morning there was uh, 78 flashpoints in the world. You know what a flashpoint is? A flashpoint is a military monitoring system with intelligence. A flashpoint is a troubled place somewhere on the planet that if it flashed in a 24 to 48 hour period into war, the United States would have to be involved immediately. 78 of them. We're in the end, honey. One senator said, what do you think about what's going on out there, Dr. Barkley, in the Middle East? Well, I, I told my opinion about Israel and Iran and you know, and no one pays attention to Turkey and they're the ones that are going to march on Israel. You never even heard of the you, you, until Pergamon come out and said that uh, he's going to rebuild the altar of Zeus. He's already sued Germany to return it because he said this is a secular king. He wants the Antichrist to set on it and he's going to go annihilate Israel. The, prophet, the true prophets of God have been warning us about Turkey for a long time. Pergamos in your Bible. For God said to the saints, I congratulate you because you haven't folded your Christianity even though you're here in Pergamos 
where Satan's seat is. That's not a saying. And he's rebuilding it. Wow. America right now has just under 500,000 uh, foot uh, boots on the ground. The USSR, the old, the old countries band together, they have a little about 400,000 troops on the ground. China has a, about what we have, if, if you don't exaggerate all their exaggerations. Turkey has now almost 4 million to march on Israel and suck the United States into a war. We're going to sit around Flint, Michigan and wonder whether we're going to go to church and try to get over our little offense and spend two hours a day on D Facebook and SpewTube and just vent our bitterness and our anger and our prejudice or we're going to get behind the preachers and let's go win our town and then our city and then our county and then our state. And how about muster up a little bit of boldness? Personally, I'm a little... I'm looking for words, but the only ones that are coming to me are the ones I can't say anymore. <laughs> so by choice, I shall overcome that vocabulary. Are you not like fed up with cowardly preachers and cowardly church people that are afraid of everything? Get up in the morning, will you? And repent for being any part of your life that's a coward and say, I got my uniform on, I'm reporting for duty. And